Oh, my, my, my. That was powerful. Rebecca, you did a fantastic job last week. Yeah. That was really good. <clears throat> I, I, I love it when people speak from the wheelhouse that they're confident of being in. Amen? And, and she's done her due diligence, and there's definitely fruit, tremendous fruit, in what she's doing. As with others of you, when you operate in the wheelhouse that God has called you to, and you're piloting that big thing, whatever God has called you to, man, you're doing awesome. So this morning, I want to continue on with freedom. Um, I, I want to tag on to just a few thoughts, but I think my heart is always to steer us through some of the things that we're facing that we may not know that we're facing. And you know, Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's all of that. But is he really all that? Does he have the fangs that, the, that, that, that you would, he would like you to think? One of our biggest challenges is in with, when we talk about freedom is just the thought that, got a little echo going on up here, freedom is the thought that I'm truly free. You know, in January, I think it was January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed this Emancipation Act that set all the slaves free. The challenge with that was some of them didn't believe it. Others simply didn't want to be free. They wanted to live where they were at. But others went, woohoo, and they marched towards freedom out of the world they were in into a whole new other world. And that didn't come without challenges. But a lot of people, you don't understand that you're already free. But the enemy says you're not free. The enemy's telling you, and where are those voices coming from? Well, I'm telling you, they're coming from the spiritual realm. And that is one of our challenges today. John Wimber taught us, if anything, he, he, he and many others turned up the light on spiritual warfare. Just turned it on. And, and I think the best way to describe it is to go to Ephesians 6.12. We've read this many times. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against... Honey, can I get a water? Thank you. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you hear that? We read this and we read this and we read this, but do we really understand what we're reading here? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our battle is not who or what's standing in front of us in the physical. The word goes on to say, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And here's one of the challenges is we live in a culture, for the most part, shuns the idea of, of the supernatural as the equivalent of fairy tales or some kind of conspiracy theory. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir, but my heart is to help you understand where people are thinking from so you can go into their world and help set them free. Amen? So here we have, it, it, so in that thinking, it's difficult for some to embrace the reality of the struggle that's taking on all around us in the spiritual realm. 
Because many people simply do not see that or acknowledge that. It's just not part of their thinking. But I'm telling you, it's real. And it's happening all around us. There is a battle going on for the souls of mankind. That's what's really pushing all of this narrative today. It's about good and evil. And it's about evil taking out as many people as it can into that place in the end. <clears throat> Amen. How many believe that and understand that? Good. I'm speaking to the right people here. John Wimber taught us many things. John Wimber is the founder of the vineyard. Taught many things. Or he coined many things. Or brought together many things that helped you kind of get a picture or some context to understand bigger things. But one of the things he taught us was evangelism is a word that most of us are familiar with. Evangelism. We go out and we share the gospel with people. John Wimber's heart was power evangelism. I spent many years on the streets <clears throat> preaching the gospel of Jesus. But I never understood the other side where I could have words of knowledge, where I could truly lay hands on the sick, where I, could, I, I didn't have my head around the spiritual realm. I thought it was there, maybe, on paper, but was the reality of it really real? So John came along and he, he taught us this, that, that there is a whole gospel that needs to be presented when we're sharing Jesus with people. That you're, not only are your sins forgiven, but God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be healed physically, spiritually, mentally. He wants every part of your whole being healed as we move into his presence, right? <clears throat> so people who are engaged, John taught this, people who are engaged in what we would call power evangelism today are members of God's army. And they are, they are and they know that they have been sent to do battle against the forces of the kingdom of darkness, and they expect conflict. They know that in this kingdom world, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be conflict going on. And they're always aware of and are looking for where the enemy's at and what's going on. Because their heart is, their passion and their desire is, they want to set people free. Amen? Okay. But as with any military campaign, there is no demilitarized zone. You're either in the kingdom of light or you're in the kingdom of darkness. There is no resting place in between. Do you guys understand that? There is none. And, and, and many believers in the Western church, they're not aware of this level of kingdom conflict. And I think a lot of it has to do with their worldview. Okay? So, with this kind of thinking, since the real world, this is more controllable, according to scientific assumptions and probably based on our Western worldview of science and all of that, you know, according to that, if we go along those lines, we need have no fear of the less real spiritual world. It's, it's just a fairy tale that's out there. This is what I control. This is what is real. We have to get beyond that. We have to get beyond that. So... So if, if we continue with this kind of thinking, this, this kind of a, a worldview that unless it's real, tangible, and I can touch it, it's really nothing beyond that. If we run with that, then the spirit world is just relegated to nothing but myth and superstition. We have a lot of that in the church today. There's a lot of churches that will take it to this point, but you start talking about the Holy Spirit and the things of God that are deeper and out, they will shut you down. Now, there's many others who embrace the whole gospel. 
But John Wimber said, more than any other issue is the influence of Western materialism and anti-supernaturalism that inhibits those of us in the church from experiencing the power illustrated in the New Testament. That's a true word, my friend. A very true word. So throughout the New Testament, we see that there is this continuous interaction between natural and supernatural beings, such as angelic visitations, dreams, visitations, oh, visitors coming, just bringing words to us, prophecies. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But today, I, I, I want you to know that, let me back up just a second, I want you to know that if you just simply read Acts, chapter 2, chapter 10, chapter, chapter 16, chapter 20, all through the book, you'll find these encounters. And I'm telling you, they're as real as the day is long. We have to begin to embrace that there is another realm, the spiritual realm, okay? And I believe that these interactions that we encounter in Acts are, are God's ways of how he communicated and still communicates his desires and his direction to his people today. But today, in our own contemporary society, many people, and I shared this earlier, we tend to screen out the possibility of the supernatural and interaction with the natural that they just somehow don't go together. Supernatural, natural, supernatural can stay over there. That's spooky, scary. I don't want to know anything about it. We'll just walk here in the natural, what I know and what I feel. And we refuse, for the most part, to even allow the reality of the supernatural activity to happen in our lives in any way, shape, or form. My father <clears throat> was on a board at a church that he, he had this incredible, he really got born, born again. He really got filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And his awareness of the spiritual realm skyrocketed. And my dad was a very quiet, very humble man, and no-nonsense kind of guy. And for him to speak that kind of language was really foreign to me. And I remember the day he called me. He said, you know, son, I, the Holy Spirit came on me. And, man, I got filled with the Spirit. And he was speaking a language. And I grew up in a very conservative church. I'm like going, man, my dad has lost it. What did they put in the communion cup? Because he's like <laughs> way out there. So he went to this board of this church. And he said, you know, I have to share with you guys. This was a church he had... He was getting ready to leave, and he said, I have to share with you, God gave me a vision. They're like, oh, yeah, right, a vision? Okay, well, go ahead, go ahead and say it. you got a few minutes. <clears throat> so dad just laid it out. He said, this church is going to be on fire. And one of the deacons goes, oh, that's good. We've always wanted to rebuild this thing. They were mocking dad and mocking what the spirit was saying. And dad says, no, really, it's going to be on fire, but it's going to be a spiritual fire. It's going to go through this church, and it's going to light it on fire, and powerful way there's going to be a move in this valley etc 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 and they snuffed him they snuffed the holy spirit and they said you know if you're going to think that way if that's where your worldview is going you need to leave and he left and he joined up with a group he went over to the assemblies that was his whole time with mario Morello. weaves into my testimony radically altered his life but he spoke what god was saying and i feel that that church had they embraced what the Holy Spirit, what God was saying, it would have absolutely rocked their world and changed everything that they were doing. That's just my opinion. You know, when you contrast the Western worldview and the Eastern worldview, you will definitely see that in an Eastern worldview, there is a huge difference 
between the belief in the spiritual realm. I'm not going to get into it really deep, but it's there. It's there. And the Greeks and many other of the Jews during Jesus' day, you know, they were open to the supernatural and they assumed that the spirit world existed and actually had power. Do we? Most of us do. <clears throat> and and this, this thought carried on over into the early church and it was a prevailing belief for about a hundred years maybe a few hundred years after the church had first started, when some of the church fathers began to cast doubt on the fact that maybe God couldn't manifest himself after all. And, and, and maybe God really didn't do this supernatural stuff like the people of old talked about. Maybe it all ended. And what happened at that moment is rationalism began to creep into the church. And rationalism is, is a belief or a theory that opinions and actions should be based on reason and knowledge rather than, rather than on any religious belief or any kind of emotional response to that. And I'm telling you, I have watched God totally in my life, my personal life. I, I have seen God so operate outside the realm of physics. How many have seen that? I, I have seen blind eyes opened. I have seen people who were deaf in one ear from birth pop open and hear. I have seen that. How many of you have witnessed miraculous, miraculous miracles? Yeah, many of us. Are you telling people about that? Yeah. Just saying. The world needs to know that God is so much bigger than just a thought or a notion. You know, you guys have heard me talk about kingdom thinking. I know Max has really hit on it. But I'm telling you, if we can get our heart and wrap our head around thinking King, and becoming more and more kingdom-minded, I tell you, we're going to birth forth kingdom realities. And I'll explain that in a moment. But in the kingdom of God, I believe with all my heart, the supernatural and the natural, they're not treated as separate uh, uh, realities that we somehow slip in and out of, kind of like the twilight zone. There is real. We can call forth right now, as it is in heaven right now, Father, as it is in heaven, let it be in this man's body in the name of Jesus. We pray that because we believe that. We're reaching into the, into the supernatural realm, the heavenly realms, and we're pulling out of it, oh, God's heart, God's will for that person, and we speak healing. We ask that, God, you would align every cell in their bodies with your kingdom. And we've seen incredible, over there in those chairs, we've seen incredible miracles that people have called from the kingdom of light into this kingdom right now, into this realm, and they brought it and they delivered it, and we've seen people healed. <clears throat> in the kingdom of God, we believe that angelic visitations, we believe in visita uh, uh, dreams, we believe in visions, we believe in prophecies. We believe that this should be a natural way of life. So we should be supernaturally natural. <clears throat> you need to get your head and your heart around this. <clears throat> I wrote here, by including the possibility for the supernatural, we, with the Holy Spirit helped, help <clears throat> become aware of the kingdom conflict, and we begin to encounter Satan's kingdom. And this is the confluence, this is the junction where we must take Christ's authority as it's given in the Great Commission to demonstrate kingdom realities here on earth. We're called to do this. You say, well, how do you demonstrate a kingdom reality? Isaiah 61, it's living out Scripture passages, chapters, books, like Isaiah 61 that says, we proclaim the good news to the poor. 
We bind up the brokenhearted. We proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Guys, Christ in us should just be leaking out of us in such a way that when we come alongside people who are broken, people who need to be comforted, people who are so poor, they, they can't, they're struggling and we come alongside them. There's something in us called Jesus that as they encounter us, they encounter him. Wherever we put our foot, we should be thinking about taking the kingdom with us and taking the peace and the presence of God forward into that reality. Amen? It goes on, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ash, oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Then it says, they will. They will. I had a student years ago and said, Mr. Thomas, who are they? Who are they? We'll get to that in a moment. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I believe that Isaiah 61, I believe this with all of my heart, that it is a mandate by God given to us to set captive people free. We carry in us, man, the keys to the kingdom. We carry in us the keys to freedom. We carry with us the keys that unlock the chains that are binding people. So who are they? They are the freed ones. They are the very ones that we go out, we lay hands on, we bind up their broken hearts, we, we, we speak freedom in their lives, we introduce them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and in that moment, something happens in their heart, and they go from this place of just ashes into a place of beauty. And they are the ones, it says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. They are the very ones that we are going after because they are the very ones that God wants to use to rebuild cities of Zion, cities of God. I, I, you guys heard me say that, that, that the ways of the world, the ways of Babylon, the systems and everything that man created, it's all coming down. And God is raising up a generation and they are the they's. That's all of us that need to stand tall in this moment and go out and set people free so that they too can join and become the very ones that rebuild cities, the very ones that carry forth and, and restore things that need to be restored according to the ancient ways of God. So, I want to be clear. Most of us understand that we do have an adversary, right? Even as believers, we still have an adversary. I mean, we see that in Job. He's up there accusing all day long. Yeah, and what about Bob? You know, Bob, he's just, you know, and what about Cyril? You know, Cyril, you know, he's, a, all day long, we're being accused. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and sober, of sober mind. In the, in the Passion Translation, it says, be well balanced and always alert. I love that. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, lo a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then I ask, but is he really all that? Does the enemy, Satan, the enemy of our flesh, does he really have the big teeth and fangs that we give him? And we say he has. Years ago, <clears throat> I was over at Alan Witcherly's house. Some of you know Alan Witcherly. Powerful, wonderful, sweet brother. You know Alan, great big, huge guy. 
And he had this sawdust pile, I think he still does, off of Sand Creek. <clears throat> and he had like five acres of just a mountain of sawdust. And he had a lot of equipment back in there, but to get it, you had to go through this gate. And at the gate, he had this dog. He had a dog. It was huge on this huge chain. And the dog was like, <clears throat> And Alan said, yeah, just go back there and go on back and get what you need. And, da -da -da. and I said, yeah, whoa, 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 time out, Alan. What about Fang? What about the dog? And he's like, oh, he won't bother you. Really? Man, that dog had come to any of that chain. He's like, ah. And I'm like, no way. Looks like he's two threads away from breaking that leash. And I don't want to lose my other arm. I'm going, man. So I remember, okay, Alan said. So I walk up to the gate. And I notice the dog started running. But he ran a different direction, like a right angle to me. And he hits into the chain. He's, ah. So I walked on through the gate. And when I got what I needed, I came back. Same thing. The dog runs, but runs at a right angle to me. I said, Alan, what's... What's wrong with your dog? And he goes, well, ever since I ran over his head, he's been a little different. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> but anybody that didn't know the secret would think, this dog's going to kill me. I'm not going to go through the gate. Woo! Well, how many, when you come to a yard and you see a big dog, you don't go in the yard? And the owner comes out and goes, ah, oh, they're, just, they're just as tame as a day is long. And it turns out they are. Sometimes they lie to you. But, <clears throat> but when, we, when we begin to search the scriptures and we begin to see this grand narrative in the scripture, it becomes very clear. If you really search the scriptures, it becomes very clear in books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and many other places that the devil, he's already been judged. He's already been defanged. He's already been declawed. When, 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 I just think at this point, he gets way too much credit. In Revelation chapter 12, we see that there was a war in heaven where a third of the angels and the serpent, that Satan, was thrown down to the earth. He was here when Adam and Eve came. He was already here. So he was thrown out of heaven. He does have limited access to heaven. We read that in Job. Somehow he's able to go, hey, God, hey, God, God hello. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what about this Job guy? Somehow he has access to always accuse us, always accuse us before God. You know, and Jesus, Jesus said in Luke 18, he, he speaks of when his disciples come back, they've done all these crazy cool things, and so all, they're so stoked and excited. God really used, man, the Holy Spirit put us on, and woo, we saw people healed, and all this stuff delivered, oh, whoa. And Jesus makes this comment, yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, I think Jesus is going back to that moment when he was in heaven. And he says, this goes to Isaiah 14, 12. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. That was Lucifer. He was in charge of worship. He was a beautiful angel. But in his pride, man, he stepped up and he said, I will. I'm better than I can do. And there was this huge war. You guys know the story. Huge war, battle in heaven. Gets thrown to the earth. <clears throat> and a third of his crispy critters come with him. So that means there's still two-thirds in heaven, so we're good, we're golden. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I mean, we know all this stuff, right? So nevertheless, I do believe that Satan was thrown out of heaven. He was defeated in that realm. Nevertheless, he's thrown here to the earth, and he does have some limited power on and here in the earth. I'm saying all this because we need to understand this as we endeavor to set people free. 
John 5.19, the, the world lies in the power of the evil one. Ephesians 2 talks about how we were dead in our transgression, in our sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's still here. If you're born again, you've stepped out of that kingdom of darkness, you've stepped into the kingdom of light. We should be able to look back into that spiritual realm and see that battle that's going on. The sons of disobedience, that's the rest of the world. They're still under the influence of the evil one, Satan himself. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. That's what we're dealing with. People that haven't seen, they just don't see it. And we have to bring this awareness to them and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to bring their hearts to him. Interesting. Here's a picture of how sovereign I believe that Jesus is. Jesus says, and he's talking to his disciples on the last night that he's with them. He says, look, I will no longer talk with you. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Hmm. And then there, there is a note If you really read the Gospels, there is a note that's been struck, boom, that resonates out through Christ's death and resurrection that there's been this decisive blow against evil, done, at that moment. And Satan, I'm going to tell you, he has nothing on Jesus. Jesus willingly at this moment submitted himself to the cross because of obedience to his Father. And then in Jesus' final hours, in John 12, 31, as Satan's coming against him, he says this, now the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Do you see what's building here? Now at the cross, Satan is decisively defeated. He has no more power over us as believers. None, nada. The only thing he has is what we give to him. John 16, 11, the ruler of this world is judged. In Luke 23, 53, <clears throat> Jesus says this, when I was with you, he's speaking to Satan, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Now listen, talk about sovereignty. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus is speaking to Satan. And he says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but now... This is your hour, and this is your hour, not only yours, but your power of darkness. Look how sovereign he is. This is your hour, and the power of darkness, too. It's your hour, boys. It's all you get. He's basically saying, you get only one hour. You get one hour. I know when it starts. I know when it ends. And it's only one hour. That's all you get. And it's all by sovereign permission that you can do your dastardly deed in Judas and in me tomorrow morning. That's basically what Jesus is saying. Isn't that amazing? He's sovereign. He just says, you know, Satan, do it. But you get one hour. One hour. You know, do we fully understand the greatness of the gospel? Do we fully understand the power of the cross? I think we're learning. But the more I walk in this and the more I walk in faith and the more I just live this life out, the more I'm learning, the more I'm understanding. 
the power of the gospel. It's salvation. Oh my goodness. So the most important passage, I believe, on Satan's defeat at the cross is in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Listen closely. It goes like this. And you were dead in your trespasses, having the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Everyone say all. All. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is powerful, guys. So here is talk about a verdict, not guilty on all accounts. I think we heard that. Thank you, Jesus. Man, it's awesome to see a moment of justice, isn't it? So here's, here's what happened. We're given this incredible, sweet verdict. He's saying the entire record of your life, the life that you regret, is canceled. Here comes the decisive second verse in that. Listen, he says, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in dying for our sins, he took our sins, he turned, and he nailed them to the cross. The record of our debt has been paid. What a message. You don't have to live under the bondage of, man, I've blown it so much in my life. Whew. You're free from that in Christ. That, and really, this, as, as, this is really Satan's only power over us. That's because he's a great accuser. He's going, uh-uh, that one sin you did, huh, that doesn't make it. Sorry, dude, it just isn't going to happen. That's a lie. Everything that we've ever done, Jesus turned It's all written out, turns around, puts it on the cross, nails it to it, and says, writes across it, paid in full. You know, when Satan goes into the courtroom of God and he stands before the court, he has nothing to accuse us with. Nothing. He wants you to think he's carrying in that satchel lots of, oh, I remember when. Remember This, remember the summer of 62 when you stole your little brother's bicycle, whatever. He wants you to think he's carrying this big old thing in. But he stands before the bar and the judge says, where's your evidence? He opens it up and the one damning weapon that he has against God's elect has been taken out of his hands because it's been nailed to the cross. That's what Jesus did for us. And you need to be so grateful and thankful that we share that with others around us that you too in Christ can be free. So in Christ, there is no forgive, unforgiven sin anymore. You're forgiven. He stands before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has nothing to accuse us with because there's nothing in his hand. You have to believe this stuff. You have to wrap your heart around this. Are you free? Because if you're hearing a voice saying, my father, as, as much as I watched him grow in the Lord, he really came to a point where there was a glass ceiling over him. For some reason, he couldn't go beyond a certain point. I remember one time I went up and said, hey, dad, you're a mighty man of valor. And he went, no. No, not me, son. I, I just can't. I'm, I'm not. <clears throat> and, and so as he was 
getting sicker and stuff in his life was happening, we had this really good God conversation. I said, Dad, what up with that thinking? And he said, your grandfather was very, 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 very hard on me. My grandfather, I don't know what was wrong with him other than maybe he needed deliverance, but he, <clears throat> he would beat my dad unmercifully. And my, he had an auto shop, and if my dad handed him the wrong tool, my uncle said, one time he beat your dad with that wrench. That was my grandfather. I, I don't understand that. But <clears throat> I'm thankful my dad never laid a hand on me because his heart was, it can stop with me. And he stopped this generational thing with him. But I remember talking to him about it. I said, Dad, how come you, you, know, you take it to a point? And he said, <clears throat> your grandfather so crushed my spirit that I just can't believe all the way into that. Was that a lie? Yeah, it was a lie. And for some reason, it was so locked and in, in ingrained in him, he couldn't let it go. He loved Jesus with all of his heart. But for some reason, he had a cap on. And I feel we run into a lot of people. I think there's people even in here that don't really feel completely free, that don't really feel completely like God has forgiven all of my sins because after all, I was meeting with a brother one time that was struggling hard, hard. He would get to a point and, and he would just plateau and then fall, plateau, fall. One day we sat down and I said, <clears throat> I said, dude, I said, <clears throat> well, it started with, he called me from the Pastime Tavern, and he said, I, I need you to come get me. At that time, it was a full-on bar. It's now, I think, the Laughing Clam, but it was a full-on bar, and he goes, yeah, this is, I said, yeah, I, I, what do you need? He goes, I, I need you to come get me. I said, why don't you just walk out? He goes, I can't. I can't walk out. I'm stuck here. The last place I wanted to be on a Saturday night was walking into a bar, and so I go down there, and true story. Talk about a comparison between the reality of the spiritual and the physical. I remember putting my hand on the door going, Father, I just want you to go with me. I don't want to be here. I open up the door, and it was like, <sighs> the spirit moves something out of the way. It was like this aisle was parted. And I went up, and I put, he was sitting at the bar. I put my hand on his shoulder, and he was down here, and he was just sobbing. And the bartenders look at me like, okay, he hasn't really drank that much, but something's wrong here. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, let's go. And as we turned, and I walked, I had my arm around him, he's sobbing. It was like everyone got silent as we walked by. You could feel this authority in the spirit that came and walked us out. And the moment the door shut, <clears throat> you could feel it was that dominion once again, and we were outside. And I began talking to him, and <clears throat> I said, man, you, we got to get through this. we got to get on the other side of this. What's going on? And he said, I have an unforgivable sin. I said, what? Because I killed somebody. Excuse me? Maybe several people. And, and he went into this story about Mexico and a drug deal and B.C. before Christ and all this stuff and shotguns and flashes of light and... and <clears throat> What a journey. But I told him, I can tell you, Charlie, when you gave your heart to Jesus, he forgave you for that. You will live with the choices of your, you know, consequences of your choice. They will be on your heart. I totally understand that. But at the same time, you are forgiven. He's sobbing and sobbing. And he says, well, <clears throat> do you think he'll forgive and and I said, yet every, if you truly gave your heart to Jesus, if you truly come into him, 
He will forgive you of those things. And he went on a quest. <clears throat> I don't know where it ended. I don't know what the journey was like for him, but he went on a quest to try to do everything he could make, do to make everything right. I don't know how you'd go into a foreign country and do that and not come back. I don't know. And maybe he started a prison ministry down. I don't know. But I remember praying with him on his knees. We're on that pavement next to a car. He's just crying out to Jesus. And you could just feel this thing breaking off of him. Jesus set you free. He set you free. Do you understand that? When you gave your heart to him, everything from your past, he nailed to the cross and said, it's finished, it's done. And if you start hearing voices that say, except that one thing, hmm? <clears throat> that's the liar, that's the accuser, that's the deceiver of the brethren. And that's what he does. You know, I want to finish out with something John G. Lake said. He said, the redemption that Jesus Christ wrought out on Calvary restores to man all the privileges and prerogatives forfeited by the fall. It's all been given back to you guys. Let's take it. Let's run with it because there are they out there who need to hear this message that they too can be free because God's looking for they, I'm having fun here with words, to rebuild the ancient cities, to restore the ancient pathways of God. So in essence, we, I believe, as believers are the bridge between the unbeliever and Jesus. We are the bridge that brings the freedom. We introduce them to the one who can unshackle their hands, open up the prison gates, take the chains off. John the Baptist was described as a witness, right? And he was born to proclaim all the wonders of Jesus. In fact, he's the one that said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, takes away the sins of the world. It's finished. It's done. I think John's primary purpose was to connect people with the Savior of their souls. And if we choose not to engage in this spiritual battle, if we choose not to shine for Jesus, I believe the unbeliever is left with no hope of redemption. We are called to shine. Matthew 5.16 says, So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that your commendable works will shine as a light upon them and they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. In a sense, I believe that all of us are John the Baptist. We have been commissioned by Jesus to go and be the bridge between this world and an awe-inspiring inspiring Savior, Jesus himself. That's us. As it was John's responsibility to prepare people for the first coming of Christ, I believe that we have a responsibility to prepare people for the second coming. Because remember, we live in the tension of the now and the not yet. And I believe there's coming a moment <clears throat> when Jesus is going to come back. But are we preparing for that moment? Are we proclaiming the good news of redemption? Are we proclaiming the good news of freedom to all of those out there, the theys? Let's stand. I hope this made sense this morning. Um, 
You know, years ago, I, I, it's like when you try to explain spiritual realm and the battle of good and evil and all this, it's hard for people to get their head around some of that. But one of the best analogies I can give is electricity. Go outside in any county road, you'll see power lines that go forever. But in those power lines is tremendous, tremendous power. My little brother, we had an argument years ago over a spark plug <clears throat> and this little wire that went to it that made a spark that made the engine go. He's going, uh-uh, I'm going, uh-uh, he's going, uh-uh, I'm going, uh-uh. And this went on for a few minutes. I said, okay, Gary, put your finger on the wire. <laughs> okay, grabs it. I kick the motor over and he's like, uh uh He had a quick demonstration. I don't recommend that to everyone. But he had a quick demonstration of power. Guys, let's demonstrate the realities of God by simply going out and living the word of God. Let's go lay hands on the sick. Let's go, let's go out and set the captives free. Let's go out and engage with our neighbor. If they're, maybe they need help. We were at the park yesterday, some of us, and there's so many people down there that were hungry and needed clothing. Man, it was like a feeding frenzy and, and ants all over clothes and stuff. And it was awesome to see people, saints of God, out there doing just that, helping those people who really need it. Amen. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you for this incredible day. Father, I just pray that just this awareness of a thankful heart would just be so big. And, and go beyond just this season, more go beyond just a seasonal teaching of thanksgiving. But Father, I just pray that we would be so thankful for what you've done for us, that we would have this incredible desire to go out and to set captives free. We would have this incredible desire to be involved in the lives of broken people and be able to be used by you as we reach into the spiritual realm and pull from there the provisions and resources that we need to co-labor with you here on earth in this moment. Wow. And Father, I just want to say if there's anyone here who's struggling with unforgiveness, <clears throat> Father, that maybe even now they would come forward. There's a great team here. I'd love to pray with you and help you walk this out. But you need to understand Jesus set you free. There is no more unforgiven sin lurking around. That's a lie. So, Father, we just thank you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. Well, God bless you.